Jesus. Uh, the first week we looked at the way of Jesus being humility. Our king is humble. And he calls us to imitate him, to follow his way of life, to take on his character and his disposition towards others. And then last week we looked at how the way of Jesus is holiness. He calls us to live lives that are set apart and countercultural to the ways of this world. He calls us to be like uh, salmon, that fish that swim upstream and go against the flow of the, the, the current when the world is uh, in, uh, headed in the path of sin. Jesus calls us to be countercultural and to go against the, the, the pressures and temptations of sin that we're bombarded with. And this week we're going to look at the way of Jesus being love. We can't do a series on the way of Jesus and not talk about love. Because if there's anybody who embodied love uh, well and perfectly, it was Jesus. And it was the life of Jesus that displayed that. And so we're going to look at 1 John chapter 4. One of the, the 12 disciples, John, the Apostle John, who wrote about the love of God, that the love that God calls us to. Now, before we, we get into uh, this text on 1 John 4, I'd like to first talk about the backdrop of 2020 and the problem of lovelessness and narcissism in the day in which we live. Okay? I, I want to I help give a contrast to how the world operates and how people who aren't following Jesus, who don't know Jesus, how they operate and how his people are to be countercultural, how we are to be different, how we are to live different, how we are to reflect something that is from uh, that is divine, someone that is divine. But Paul says in Second Timothy three, he's writing his uh, his spiritual son, Timothy, and he's describing the perilous, difficult times that would come in the last days. And this is how Paul describes the times in which we are currently living in. He says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. 2020 has been that. And 21 has already started to be that for us, right? For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. So here's the backdrop. I'd like to start first with the problem. The problem of sin and lawlessness and lovelessness and narcissism that is prevalent in our day. And even Jesus himself said in the last days that because sin abounds, the love of many would grow cold. There would be this coldness and hardness and callousness and indifference in relationships. Love would wax cold in the last days. Okay? So in contrast, the way of Jesus is the way of love. And following him is living a life that reflects the character of God. That reflects the way of Jesus. A, a life that is characterized by love. And First John calls us to it very well. In First John, First John gives us at least three tests for, for authentic Christianity. Okay? At least three tests. The first test he gives is, a, is an ethic test. A test of, uh, of ethics. Of the moral test. Okay? That those who know God and love God, they walk in the light because God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. So 1 John 1 tells us this. God's pure and holy and righteous. And those who are born of God, they practice righteousness. 
And so he says a test of, of genuine Christianity, of authentic Christianity, is this moral test, this, this ethic of practicing what's right. Okay, and we talked a little bit about that last week when we focused on the holiness of Jesus and, and being set apart for Jesus and following his way of life. John also gives a test, for a, a doctrinal test, a test of faith. Those who are genuine Christians believe and confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came. That the Son of God took on flesh and He was manifested in this world. He became a human being. God became a man. And Jesus displayed God to the world, to His disciples particularly. And He showed us what God is like. And then lastly, John gives us a social test. A test of relationship. Here's what real Christianity looks like. It's characterized by love. 1 John 3.10 says, In this the, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifested. He who does not practice righteousness, nor he who, he who does not love his brother, is not born of God. So those of us who know God, and we've been born of God, and we're, we're true followers of Jesus, we're true Christians. There's this practice of righteousness. There's this faith in Jesus, and there's this love that flows into the lives of others. And so throughout this epistle, John talks a lot about love. And so we're going to pick up on 1 John chapter 4. John heard Jesus say things like in John 13, 34 and 35. He said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, this is the way. This is the way of Jesus. And it was radical. And, and when, when he said those words, when he called his, his followers to such a high degree of love, to love, as, as love one another as he loved them, it was radical then and it's radical today. The way of Jesus is, is radical and it's a crazy kind of love that he calls us to. A crazy kind of love where he calls us to even love our enemies. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, and John heard this. He, he said to love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to those who harm you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. This is the way of Jesus. And John just like the other apostles, each emphasized this aspect of what it means to know and follow Jesus. Namely, to receive and give his love. Okay, so 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the, that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God in, abides in Him. By this, is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment? Because as he is, so also are we 
in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has... uh, Excuse me. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. This is nothing new here at City Church, and this is nothing new to Christianity. This is a core part of following Jesus, and this is a core part of our vision and values here at City Church. And we try to annually revisit this very basic element of what it means to follow Jesus and this very basic element of what we're about here at City Church Garland. To know Jesus, to love people, and impact your world. That's our vision. We value loving community. Living out the one another's of Scripture together and committed relationships where we're, where we're known and we, we know and we're known. Where we love and we're loved. Where we forgive and we're forgiven. Where we experience mutual love and encouragement. And this is what Jesus calls us to. Here's our big idea. God calls his children to receive and reciprocate his love that was displayed in the life in the death of Jesus. God calls his children to receive and reciprocate his love that was displayed in the life and the death of Jesus. Now, so what I'd like to do in this message today is first I'd like to give a definition or some definitions and descriptions of what love is. Give reasons why we should love. Seven reasons from the text. Of why we should love as Christians. And then talk about some practical on the ground. How can we walk this out as Christians. So that's where we're, we're going today. Okay. And it's important I think to define what love is. Because there's all kinds of definitions out there. We use the word love very loosely. I love pizza and I love my mom. Right? I love chicken nuggets and Chick-fil-A sauce. And I love spending time with my children. (laughs) I love basketball. And I love watching Mandalorian. I I love it when it snows. I love it when 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 the sun rises in the morning. I love good music. And I love God. All right, and so we, we use the word love very loosely for all kinds of things. And so it's important for us to define and, and, and grasp what is it that God is calling us to, to live in? What kind of love is he, is he calling us to have? What does it look like? What is it? And so here's just a couple definitions. And let me just start with this, that, that love, this is from the Holman Bible Dictionary. Love is unselfish, loyal, and benevolent intention and commitment toward one another. Okay? Here's another one. Love generally is that principle which leads one moral being to desire and delight in another and reaches its highest form in that personal fellowship in which each lives in the life of the other and finds its joy in imparting himself to the other and, and receiving back the outflow that others affections uh, of that others affections unto himself. Here's another one from Erdman's dictionary. Love is an inner quality expressed outwardly as a commitment to seek the well-being of the other through concrete acts of service. The Webster's dictionary says to Uh, Love is to have a feeling of love for, to regard with affection or goodwill, to love one's children and friends, to love one's country, to love one's God. Now, as Christians, 
We, we believe that love is more than a feeling, but we don't think that it's less than a feeling. It involves love touches our feelings and our affections. But the love that, that, that Christ calls us to goes so much deeper than sentimentalism and emotionalism. It should affect our emotions and it should affect our thoughts and it should affect our will and it should affect our attitudes and actions towards one another in very real practical expressions. It should come out through words and it should come out through deeds. Okay? Uh, a couple of other definitions here. I missed, I didn't put in uh, uh, two here. One from J.I. Packer um, from his book, Knowing, Knowing God. He says, love is an exercise of his, God's love is an exercise of his goodness toward individual sinners, whereby having identified himself with their welfare, he has given his son to be their savior and now brings them to know and enjoy a covenant relationship. I'm sorry. And now brings them to know and enjoy him in a covenant relationship. That's page one, 123 in uh, Knowing God. And then Wayne Grudem in his book, uh, Systematic Theology, he describes love as this or defines love as this. God's love means that God uh, eternally gives himself gives himself to others. God eternal that's very simple. God eternally gives himself to others. Okay? So now that we've defined and described what love is, and I think of course we we can't miss out on the Apostle Paul's definition of love. In First Corinthians chapter thirteen, Paul was addressing a church, the Corinthian church, that had focused on uh, they had let their differences bring division in and among them. Differences of convictions, okay? Differences of, of giftings, okay? Differences of who they like to listen to as preachers come in between their love and fellowship with one another. And this is relevant to us today because we have, we've had lots of things in this last year for, for opportunities to bring division among us, like such as mask and no mask wearing, such as voting to the left or voting to the right, uh, issues around race and injustice and how we carry that out. There's been lots of opportunities for offenses, vaccination or no vaccination, right? There's all kinds of things that Christians historically have struggled with in trying to walk together between differences. And Paul calls the Corinthian church to not let secondary things bring division and, 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 and separation and, 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 and move aside the essential element of loving one another. Here at City Church, we like to say um, that we're united in the essentials. There's liberty in the non-essentials, but in all things, there's love, there's charity. Okay, we're, we're going to pursue that. And there's space for peripheral issues that people have differences in, in, in expressions of ministry. Okay, we're not going to let those things divide us. What unites us is the gospel of Jesus Christ and our common love that we have in Jesus Christ. That unites us here at City Church Garland. And so beware that your political party doesn't bring, your, the, the, the party that you tend to vote for doesn't bring division among the people of God that he's called you to walk with. Okay? Beware that your convictions on things that may be really important to you, but maybe not so much to your other brothers and sisters, beware that you don't let those things bring a stumbling block or division or, or hinder Love being expressed and people flourishing in the community in which God has placed you within. You see, this was a problem in 1 Corinthians. I, I could have probably preached on this, this passage here uh, and, and it would have been great. Uh, but Paul says, this is how Paul describes love. He gives them a whole chapter on it because he was trying to center them on what's most important. They got off. They got off about, should we eat meat offered uh, to sacrifice the idols or not? You know, and, and while some could and some couldn't, some felt good about that, and some didn't, uh, it became an issue how they carried that out. And then how they exercised spiritual gifts. 
And there were people that were exercising those selfishly, just getting attention on themselves rather than aiming to build up and do good and bring edification to others. Paul told the Corinthians, he said, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. We should be, be aware that those of us who've learned a lot, we've read a lot of books and we've read articles and we've learned stuff. We should be aware that our knowledge does not become a hindrance to our loving one another. Amen. We should actually use the knowledge and the power and the gifts that we have to build up one another. So I'm on, on a rabbit trail, but here, let's, let's get back here. Love is patient. Here's what it looks like. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Paul goes on to say, you know, if we have gifts and we have we have we know things and we have powerful gifts and we even if we flow in the supernatural and God uses us to do great things. But if we don't have love, he says, we're nothing. We're like a clanging symbol. Nobody wants to be a mere clanging symbol. Right. Okay, so that's what love is. Now, let's look at the why behind. I enjoy talking about the why because it motivates me. And I think it, it motivates others when we can focus in on we don't we're not just just simply told to love and that's it. Just stop being selfish. Just love. OK, the Bible does command us to love and it does command us to stop being selfish. But it gives a why behind it gives reasonable, good reasons of why we should pursue love, a life of love and be committed to it. And the first one here that John gives us, the Apostle John, is, is namely that God is love. He's the source and the originator of all love. And notice the phrase isn't love is God. Okay? Because there's a lot of people that try to come up with their own definition of what love looks like. And then they say love is God and they fit God into their definition of love. No, God, God is the source of love and, and, and he expresses love and he, he's the one that defines love for us. And the scriptures Give outline that very well. So John says this. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. This is a divine work. This is a God thing. When you love one another, you're doing what God has wired you to do. He's designed you to do as image bearers. You're reflecting his image in the world as born-again Christians, those who come to know Jesus. You're doing what God has designed you to do. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Uh, also in uh, verse 19, it says that we love because he first loved us. God took the initiative. God's the one who chose to set his love on us even before we were created and had the opportunity to do something good or bad. God chose to set his love on us. Ephesians chapter 1, in love he predestined us. He chose us to be his very own. And one of the things that, that, that one of the, one of, oftentimes when I've experienced God's love, it's been when i have felt most unworthy and I've been most aware of my failure, most aware of my selfishness, my hardness of heart, my impatience and unkindness. And as anybody else, I'm sure we've all had some of those experiences where we've just kind of been like a jerk. We've been unkind. Okay. I appreciate those hands going up like that. Where we've just, we haven't been kind or loving and then God just humbles us with some super sweet, tender act of kindness and grace from another person that we weren't expecting. We were expecting something harsh and something bad, but we were met with grace and kindness and love. And it just, just kind of just disarms us, disarms our defenses, right? Uh, that's been my experience multiple times where I've felt unworthy where I've blown it and God has met me. And one of the things I think it's important about that is that, that when, 
when we experience God's love, when we feel least worthy to, to be recipients of it, it's a reminder to us that he loves us not based on anything that we do or have done. You see, it's not that we've done something, that there's something in us that has caused God to love us. It's because of who God is. You see, it originates from him. He loves us because that's who he is and that's what he does. And he's chosen to give us love. Okay, not because we've earned it. Not because we've performed well. Because we got the answers right. Because we checked off our boxes. No. He loves us because he loves us. We call this grace, right? We don't deserve it. He set his love on us. And so he's the initiator. He's the source. He's the originator of all love. The second thing is, is that loving people affirms the authenticity of our relationship with God. Notice verse 7. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God. You see, when we, when we come, have been born of God and knows God, when we come in contact with the living God, and we come into relationship with the living God, we're going to have his character rub off on us. He's going to affect us with, with who he is. Right? We're, when we're born again, okay? When we're born again and we become children of God through being born again, through the, the, the work of Jesus Christ, the saving work of Jesus Christ, we as God's children start to resemble God and his character. Right? Don't, don't, don't children resemble their parents for the most part? There's, there's some kind of resemblance, in, generally speaking. Right? I know my wife and I have a redhead child, and it's like, where did you get that red hair from, right? Um, but, but as children of God, we are called to resemble our Father. We're called to resemble our Savior. We're called to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And, and John mentions all three persons of the Trinity in here. As I mentioned last week when Paul's uh, letter to the, the Ephesians, uh, those, those imperatives were rooted in the Trinity and rooted in the gospel. And I think we have the same thing here. Paul points us to, to love being from God. Paul points us to love being shown to us through the, through the life and the death of Jesus Christ. Paul, uh, or I'm sorry, John, John uh, points to the work of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit, the indwelling presence of the Spirit, and, and he's the one who, Paul says in, in Romans 5, 5, he pours out the love of God into our hearts. He pours out the love of God into our hearts, and, and he's, the Spirit's the one who produces the fruit of love in our life as we keep in step with him. And so why should we love? Because God is love. And because loving people affirms the authenticity of our relationship with God. Those who love have been born of God and they know God. Next is that, that God has loved us before we loved him. God loved us before we loved him. Notice verse 9. In this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. This is so key, I think. I think this is so key. Because loving others, God, God doesn't call us to, to, to pull ourselves up by our, our bootstraps and, and, and just try to will love into existence. The key for us living a life of love, being conduits of God's love, is first being recipients of his love. Okay? we got to first receive what he's done for us in the way that he has showered down love on us when we least deserved it. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love for us in this way. And so we first have to receive it. If we don't first receive something, we don't have anything to give out to others. And in receiving God's love for us and knowing his heart towards us, we have this abundance of resource 
an abundance resource of love to give out to others. Now, Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, he prayed for the Ephesian church to, to get, to grasp by the Spirit the height and the depth and the width of God's love, to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. We need the Spirit's help to grasp it, to get it, to know the heart of the Father towards us, to know the heart of the Savior for us, and experience His love disarming the barriers and the defenses in our lives, softening the hardness and the callousness and the indifference in our life, driving out the selfishness in our lives. We need the love of God to blow us away. We need the love of God to humble us, to soften us. We need a fresh vision, an experience of God's love, not to just know it here. So many people know that God loves them here. They're like, yeah, I know Jesus loves me. And if you try to tell somebody that Jesus loves them, that God loves them, like, yeah, I know that. We know it here, but do we know it here? We know it objectively, that, that historically, at one point of time in history, God sent his son to die for us, to, to be the, the, the sacrifice for our sins. But do we know it experiential, experientially, subjectively? Does, has God met you with his love where it disarmed your defenses? I, I remember I've shared this before just one time uh, when I was doing a corporate fast and I was and I, I made it to the fourth day and I ate some Cheetos and I felt bad about eating Cheetos. I, blew, I broke the fast. It was a 10 day fast, I think. And I felt unworthy to be in the corporate gathering with all the true devoted Fasters and prayers and God seekers, and so I'm there like I'm like I don't deserve to be here. Like I didn't get a ticket. I, I don't belong here, right? And and God just reminded me in this moment of worship that I do belong, and He surrounded me with His love. And, and I, I remember longing for in that moment, longing for a hug from my my earthly father who had passed away when I was 15, and he wasn't there to give me a hug. But God, my heavenly Father was there to give me a hug, embracing me with love and reminding me that I am accepted and that my performance doesn't earn acceptance with Him. I am loved and accepted by Him. Thank you. That's good timing, buddy. That was great timing. This is justice, and I love Him. And He has freedom and confidence to come to daddy anytime, even when I'm preaching. <laughs> but I'm going to ask to go back to mom now. Thank you. I love you too, Justice. <laughs> All right. Um, that was great. We did not plan that either. God has a way of showing up and meeting us in our lowest times. Uh, with his love and, and for me that's been a part of sanctification that's been a part of healing that's been a part of, of growth in Christ as a follower of Christ is really learning God's heart for me getting God's heart for me and I think it's a stumbling block it's a struggle for a lot of Christians and it's something that keeps them from progressing in godliness and holiness and Christ likeness and sanctification I think it's key for us to move forward. We need to know God's heart for us and be changed by it. We need to know that his disposition towards us is one of grace and one of mercy, not of judgment, not of condemnation. He's for us, not against us. And so I want to ask you right now, when you think of God's face or God's disposition towards you right now, is it one of delight? Is it, one, is it a disposition of welcome, embrace, endearment, affection? Or is it one of indifference? Of, 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 is it one of displeasure? Is it one of, of judgment, of condemnation? So to just think about that. And also think about those in your life that, that, God's, that God's love has been used to shape your life into the man or the woman that you are today. Just pause for a moment. Just think about, in your life, who 
in a physical body and relationship that you have, who you experienced love from that, that impacted you the most, that was most influential and shaped you the most? Who was it? What man or woman, coach, teacher, relative, friend, that, that, was, that was the conduit of God's love for you to help shape you into the man or the woman that you are today. Because we've all had those. And somebody had to share the good news of Jesus Christ with us. Share the love of God with us and, 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 and point us to Jesus. John Scott here in uh, commenting on this, he says that the sending of God's son was both the revelation of his love. This is how God showed his love. And indeed, the very essence of love itself. This is love. It is not our love that is primary, but God's. Free and uncaused and spontaneous. And all our love is but a reflection of his and a response to it. The coming of Christ is therefore a concrete historical revelation of God's love, his agape. For love is self-sacrifice, the seeking of another's positive good at one's own cost, and the greater self-giving, and and a greater self-giving, there's no greater self-giving than God's gift of his son. There has never been and never could be. So number four, the reason why we should love is loving people assures that we love and know God. Verse uh, 12 and 13. No one has ever seen God. Okay, God is spirit. He's invisible. Jesus said this in John chapter 4. God is spirit. No one has ever seen God. John chapter 1 also um, uh, speaks about this. Uh, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another... God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. Okay? So, the invisible God is seen through his children when we show love to others. His work, his character, his glory is put on display when we show his love. To others. Okay? This is the reason we should love. We People who can't see God need to see you and I show us his love. Those of us who have a genuine relationship with him. Who have his spirit dwelling inside of us. Uh, Jesus used the, the analogy of the wind. Uh, that you know that those who are born again are uh, just like the wind. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with those who are born of God. And the work of the Spirit is similar to that. You you can't necessarily see wind, but you see the effects of it. You see the effects of it, right? When when there's strong winds, there's trees that bend and 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 things get blown around. Okay, we can't see. A physical expression of God the Father because he's spirit. Right? We don't, his being is spirit, so he's invisible. But when we see his love and we see his love through Jesus, we see the person of Jesus who became flesh and became a man and dwelt among us, we see God. So loving people assures us that we love God and that we know him. Loving people uh, reveals what God is like to them. Uh, Loving people leads to confidence before God. I think experiencing the love of God, being recipients of God's love and conduits of God's love is key to experiencing healing to the brokenness in our hearts and in our lives. We live in a fallen, broken world. We live in a post-Genesis Three world and the effects of Genesis 3 sin, disobedience towards God, led to Adam and Eve and all of humanity experiencing this fallenness that was described as fear, shame, guilt, hiding, 
blame shifting, this brokenness in relationship, this break, this uh, dysfunction in relationship. And the love of God helps bring wholeness and puts us back together. The, the gospel, which reveals the love of God by, by Christ coming and dying for us on the cross, taking our judgment, taking our punishment upon himself, brings wholeness to you and I who know and believe his love for us and know and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. It brings wholeness to us because we know that we don't have to try to cover our own sins and hide and and blame shift. And we don't have to shrink back in fear like Adam and Eve did. You and I can now have confidence even before God on the day of judgment. Notice verse 17. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So as Christians, we believe that Christ has taken our punishment. The judgment for our sin, the weight of our sin was placed on Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Isaiah 53. It was laid upon him, on his body, and on the cross. And he took our place and he took our shame and he's washed it away and because of that you and I can have confidence in approaching God on the day of judgment because Christ has already taken our place we're already forgiven we're already accepted we already belong in the family of God for all eternity and so when we stand before God and give an account for our lives, we're going, as Christians, we're going to be judged based on what we've done since we've been a Christian. And we'll be either rewarded or not rewarded for the things that we've done or not done as Christians. First Corinthians chapter 3. And so we can have confidence before God rather than shrinking back in shame. Because the love of God casts out fear. It casts out that unhealthy fear that causes us to shrink back from God, to cower away from Him, because we are convinced that He is for us, that Christ has taken our shame, He's taken our sin, He's clothed us in His righteousness, and we stand in that. We're new creations. We're forgiven and we're free. I love, I appreciate how the love of God drives out insecurities from our lives. The more we get to know how God loves us, receive it, and let it flow through it, it, it frees us up from being paralyzed with insecurities and shame and guilt. We, we become free to just live as children of God who are loved who has a daddy who's provided for us and he's taking care of us and he protects us. And when we're in trouble, we know he's going to show up and walk us through the most difficult of times. And so loving people leads to a confidence before God or it's, it's the effect. Loving people really is the effect of experiencing God's love and possessing God's love. It's like a domino effect. It's the gospel effect. We love others because he first loved us. We love God because he first loved us. And isn't this what the world needs? We just, we've walked through a, a season where there's been so much hatred, violence, slandering, villainizing, attacking, tearing down, disunity, disruption. We've seen so much brokenness within our country. Within churches, there's been division in churches. There's been marriages that have split apart this past year. There's been all kinds of, of brokenness and dysfunction in relationships. And it's the love of God that helps relationships work. Without the love of God, relationships do not work. Paul calls it in Colossians chapter 3, verse uh, 
14 or 15, I believe, he says, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Another translation says, it's what binds us together in perfect harmony. Love does that. And God's designed us for this. He, he demands that we walk in this. He's designed us for it. And we experience life as he intended for us to live here on earth when we're loving well. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If there's anything, if I, if I were to see my life when I stand before God on Judgment Day, if he were to show me a, a, a picture of my life, that's the number one thing I would want to see myself doing, is loving God and loving people. I think when we give ourselves to a life of love, it helps minimize the regrets that we have when we lay our heads down on the pillow at night to go to sleep. It helps minimize the regrets that we have on our deathbed when we are getting close to taking our very last breath here on earth and stepping into eternity. You know, it's, it's, it's those relationships where we, where we didn't love that, that grieves us the most and that we feel the most regret and sadness about. And Jesus taught us this is the way. If you're going to live well, if you're going to live as, as the Father's designed you to live, follow my way. Follow the way of love. For, and the first, here, here's the thing. We've got to receive it first. You, see, Jesus calls us to like a crazy degree of love. That, that we can't conjure up in and of ourselves. We need a resource outside of ourselves. Namely God. And of course he lives within us. And so now we, now we possess that resource within us as Christians. The spirit empowers what God commands of us. He empowers us to walk out. So loving your enemies Man, that takes some supernatural love. It's easy to love people who love you. Everybody who agrees with you politically, theologically, relationally, vocationally, they, 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 they agree with your way of doing everything. They like your styles of music and your styles of food and your styles of dress and your styles of communication and relationships and your styles of doing everything. Yeah, it's easy to love people who are like you. And they like you, and you like them, and, and you just, yeah, it, you know, but, but anybody can do that. The world can do that. But the kind of love that Jesus calls us to is loving people who aren't like us. People who are actually against us, and hate us, and are, are our enemies. This takes the supernatural work of the Spirit of God, if we're going to walk this out. Husbands. The kind of love that Paul says husbands are to have for their wives as Christ loved the church and he laid down his life for her sacrificially. That's going to take some empowering of the Holy Spirit if we're going to walk that out, husbands. And I don't know about you, but I am aware of how short I have fallen in that area. I, I don't measure up to the love of Christ. I don't, I don't think I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I think I have room to grow. I have room to grow in knowing his love for me, and I have room to grow in showing my love for him and showing my love for others. And so what he demands of us, he empowers us to walk out. And when we're walking it out, it, 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 it fuels confidence in our lives. It, it gives us assurance in our lives that we're, this is real Christianity. We're walking the walk. We really know him. Because if we say we know him, and we don't love the people that we can see, and we say we love God who we can't see with our physical eye, John says we're a liar. Okay? John says we're a liar. You see, Jesus calls us to love people who are of different races than us, different religions of us. See, this was one of the things that was radical in his day. When Jesus taught to love the Samaritans, to love, love other people, to love the, the tax collectors and the sinners, like he hung out with them. And the religious folks of his day, they were all for loving everyone else who was in their conservative bubble religiously and racially. 
They were all for that. Yeah, we'll love these Jewish conservative folks. But what about these these non-Jewish liberal folks? You're going to love them? The people who are different than you. And and maybe they, they're, they're doing some things that are ungodly and unrighteous. Well, Jesus loved us when we were living ungodly and unrighteous as well. And our sin is just as foul as the next person's. And we need grace just as much as the next person. And so lastly, this is very obvious. We, we love because God's commanded us to love. He demands it. He commands it. It's his will for our lives. The one who created us and designed us knows how life works best. And it works best when we love people. We were fully alive and we experience the, the, the abundant life when we live a life of love. Beloved, let us love one another. And this is the commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Okay, so we look, we've looked at the what, what is love. We've, we've looked at seven reasons why we should love. Now let's, let's look at some practical and let's close here uh, within the next five minutes on this. How, how can we walk this out? Very practically, give your time and attention to others. It starts there. Give your time and attention, your undivided attention. Give a chunk of your life, a chunk of your time to somebody else to express that they have value. Where you're looking them in the eyes and you're listening and you're thinking about what they need. You're thinking about who they are and what they need and, 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 and how God created them. And you're, you're just thinking about how can I help this person right here? And you're listening to them attentively. Okay? I know many wives would love for husbands to practice this and start this here. Uh, one of the ways to, to spell love is T-I-M-E. Okay? Just time. Just give, give time. And, and, and time where you're present. Okay? Not just where your body's there, but you're checked out mentally and emotionally. You're thinking about work. You're thinking about a project. You're thinking about sports. You're thinking about ministry. You're thinking about something else, but you're physically present. Dads and what, um, moms, we, we need to be like this for our kids. Emotionally and physically present. Spiritually present. Pursuing their hearts. Asking them questions. Give your affection and affirmation to others. This is the way that we express love. Affection. Affection. And affirmation. Affirm the good things in others' lives. Those who've been created in the image of God. Who reflect a part of God's image in the world. Affirm them in those areas that they reflect His image. Now, we don't affirm sin. And sinful practices at all. Okay? We, we, we speak the truth in love and we apply the gospel and God's, God's word to those areas of, of, of life when we call people to repentance. But, but there's so much that we can affirm. We live in a culture that is very cynical and judgmental and tends to focus on the negative much of the time. And as Christians, we've got to be countercultural and see good that we can affirm and other people, especially our family, especially our church, especially other Christians. We should do good to all, but especially the household of faith and speak words of life and express affection through, through hugs and, and handshakes and smiles. Just a smile. A smile and a greeting, a fist bump. Okay? Like that just, that can show value and love. That, you know, I think in evangelism, by the way, if you want to start somewhere, you want to become more evangelistic, just start by greeting people. And Jesus is like, well, if you only greet those who greet you, what reward do you have? Like everybody, anybody could do that. But he calls you to like be a greeter, to greet people that aren't greeting you, that aren't giving you smiles, that aren't being friendly to you. You be friendly to them. Change the atmosphere. Be countercultural. And showing the love of Christ. So give your time and attention to others. Give your affection and affirmation to others. Also give accountability to others. Accountability and space for their growth. So avoid smothering, smothering them in accountability. Okay? 
Um, I got an example of this when I was a, a newer believer. I was working at TCBY Yogurt. And I was giving out free yogurt to all my friends. Free yogurt, come on, guys. Everybody from church, come get some free yogurt. Yeah, I was, I was creating friends with someone else's resources. I was investing in friendships and relationships with someone else's resources. It was an integrity issue. Okay, It goes back to last week, you know. Uh, don't steal. <laughs> don't steal from your employer, right? I was stealing from my employer. I didn't see it like that. I was just yeah, being generous. You know, I could have some for free, and I'll just share what I can have for free with others. And it, so I had, a, I had a, a pastor who walked in. One pastor actually received the, 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 uh, uh, the free yogurt. Another pastor who, who came, and I was trying to give him the yogurt for free, and he, he looked me in the eye, and he had, he had kind of a country, country twang, and he said, now, Keith, are you being a man of integrity? <laughs> and that's all he said. <laughs> Keith, are you, are you being a man of integrity by doing that? And he didn't say, man, you're stealing. You better stop that. He, he just asked me a simple question. I knew where he was standing. I knew what he was communicating. It was enough to, to give the Holy Spirit some room to convict me and give me the space to wrestle with the Spirit over this issue of lack of integrity in the workplace. But he was holding me accountable. He was expressing love through some firm accountability that I needed at that season in my life. And I needed every season of life. We all need that. We not only need affirmation, but we need accountability. And this is one of the ways that we grow as Christians, that we speak the truth and love to one another. Lastly, um, actually, I got two more things. One is the last one. Second, the last one is give your goods to others. Share what you have. Okay. Love gives. Okay, we give our time, our attention, our affection. Um, we give accountability, our presence. Uh, we, we get in there when the hard things. Um, but, but also, it affects our pocketbook. Loving people affects how we use the resources that we do have. And John says this, he says, First John, he says, By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. Okay, now John's calling for a, an expression of love that is very concrete, that is very practical. And it's if you see a need, somebody who has a need, a brother or sister who has a need, you give. You give of your resources. Now, I think giving love, <clears throat> giving love, expressing love through words is important because we can convey love through words. But if it's just words and there's not action behind those words, it's shallow. Okay? And so that's what it looks like to walk in love. And lastly, I would say give people the benefit of the doubt. Okay, I didn't put this up here, but give people the benefit of the doubt. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Okay, don't assume the worst about people. Okay, like they irritate you and you just you jump to conclusions and you assume the worst. They're they're trying to get me back or they're they're not thinking about me. Don't assume the worst. You don't want people to assume the worst of you. Do unto others as you would want done to you. Right. I, I don't like it when people assume the worst about me. I mean, generally, I feel like my intentions are good towards other people. All right? And when people assume the worst about me, I feel like I'm being misjudged. They're miscalculating my character, my actions, my thoughts. And so we should extend that same grace. <laughs> should extend that same grace to our children uh, that, that, that we want others to give us and let me just close too with mentioning the five love languages this is great for couples uh, but I think these are some some five practical ways to to express love that dr. Gary Chapman uh, has written and identified and it's been very helpful for many couples in marriage relationships and I think it can be helpful in any relationship but there's five five particular love languages that he's identified of ways that we um, prefer giving and receiving love the first one is quality time i've already mentioned that the other one is words of affirmation the other one is physical touch the other one is uh, acts of service and the other one is receiving gifts 
Okay? Receiving gifts. So these are described as the five love languages. And, what, and so what happens in many relationships is, um, you know, if somebody's a quality time person and they give and receive love through quality time, but somebody else gives and receives love through acts of service, and they're both trying to love each other one way and the other one trying to love the other way, it's, they're not feeling loved. They think they're showing love to that person, and they think that it, it's working, uh, but it's not, right? And, and so, so he helps identify, like, how, how can we best love each individual? And so it takes us learning, uh, learning where people are at. How can I express love to my children, to my wife, my husband, my friends, my coworkers? And so let me... Let me close in prayer. I'm going to express love to you guys by ending this sermon right now, not going any further. Because it's going to be snowing, and I know y'all want to see the snow. It's snowing right now.